no, definitely one of the more interesting Sunday uh, remembrance times I've had. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, it's always uh, a great um, comfort for us that we have some things that we need to do, right? They say a lot of times what happens is people, when their lives get disrupted, they actually have nothing to fall back on, from, even from like a routine perspective. Okay, so even from like a routine perspective, they don't have anything to do because because all they're used to doing is um, all they're used to doing is going to work and you know having their routines, whether it's on the weekends, going out uh, to eat or whatever it is. And so when your life gets disrupted, they actually have nothing else to do. And for us, we are given this mandate that we are to meet together, and then there's a prescription that we have to partake of the emblems, listen to God's word, and as far as we are able to, and as the Lord allows, it's something that we can try to do. And even if we lose this physical uh, location, uh, like I said, we don't know what's going to happen in the next weeks or so, I would encourage uh, all of us to um, come together on Sunday through the means that we have, which is uh, online, that's what we have, um, so that we can um, we can still continue to be in fellowship. It's not ideal, but we still get the benefits of listening to God's word and praying for each other together as a community. Um, so today our our passage, our sermon is from the last chapter of John, John chapter twenty one. I will be reading from verses fifteen to twenty five. The Verses will come up on screen. If you are able to, please stand up for the reading of God's word. And then um, we can get into the passage. This is John chapter 21, verse 15 through 25. And it reads, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? 
This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the word become flesh and the glorious reminder even in midst of uncertainty and uh, fear in the world that uh, our confidence and our security lies in you and we remember that uh, that we belong to Jesus Christ who is unchanging, the same yesterday, today and forever and his word which also stands forever and on that bedrock, on that foundation we place our trust. We pray that what we have to understand today about living as a Christian, about living to serve others might be uh, might be uh, imbibed into our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit and that we'll, our hearts and our minds will be able to focus. In Jesus' name we ask him. May we see it. Now, like I said, this is the uh, last chapter of John. And what's interesting about this chapter is that it comes after John chapter 20. Now, if you read John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, this is how, what it says. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So if you read this verse and you close your Bible, you would have expected that John's gospel has ended. Because he has written the reason why the book was uh, was given, or or he has said, this is the reason why this book was written. It seems to bring it to an end, and yet then there is another chapter after the book seems to end. Now, what's interesting is that immediately there is another sign in John chapter twenty-one. When you read at the beginning, we read about the f- disciples going to fish, and Jesus appearing to them. That's a sign, and then the fish. Uh, that they caught overflowing in the nets. That's another sign. So John says in chapter 20, he did many other signs. So we have, he himself gives another two or three more in the next chapter. So we had to ask ourselves, why is it that there is a chapter 21 when he could have ended at chapter 20? We call this an epilogue. An epilogue is uh, a comment on what has happened before. So there's a prologue, which uh, means something that sets up the stage for what is to come. And then there's usually you know, the book. And then there's an epilogue, which is a comment on what has happened um, uh, from the beginning of the book to the end. So this is like an epilogue. Now, the best way to think of an epilogue is that the main uh, plot points have been resolved, but now a summary of everything that has happened or something that is important to be reminded is now being given in the epilogue. A famous example of this uh, is uh, if you have watched the movie, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. That movie has like, uh, after it ends, it has about like a 45 minute epilogue where (laughs) the actual plot line has ended uh, with the with the victory or the conquering of uh, of evil, but then they spend a long time summarizing what happens in people's lives after that and so on. So that's an epilogue. 
And why is there John chapter 21? It's because every gospel, Mark, Matthew, Luke, ends not just with the appearance of the risen Lord to his disciples and their belief in him, but with a commission, a confident statement, as a commentator has said, that this mission to the world undertaken by the apostles at his command and under the authority of Jesus Christ will be the means by which many are saved. So every gospel ends with a commission. And John's gospel, if it ended at chapter 20, would not have had that commission. So it ties in with the overall goal of the book, which is we, read, we know John, what is under name for John? John the? John the Baptist is the, is the uh, not the person who wrote this book. What's the name of the apostle? Another nickname for the apostle. John the? The disciple whom Jesus loved, yeah, it's there. But he's commonly called uh, John the Evangelist because his gospel is the one that we use for evangelistic purposes more than any other gospel. So he ends not just with the appearance of the risen Lord, but with the commission to evangelism or to mission uh, that is given in this chapter. And if you see John chapter 21, if you read it from the beginning, I invite you to go home and read it. It has an interesting pattern. In the beginning, the disciples, Peter, who is once again now their leader, they return back to their old ways, their old profession. What is that? Fishing, right. And then Jesus appears and he calls them again from their nets to come to him. You remember that this is what he did the first time. He said, uh, I say that you no longer will be uh, fishing for fish, but you will be fishers of what? Fishers of men. So he calls them again. So there's a recall. And then he breaks bread with them. There's a communion. It is a renewed communion or a renewed worship. And then Jesus undertakes what we call a pastoral ministry to Peter. That is the restoration of Peter, which is what we just read. And then he gives a commission to Peter, which is actually a recommission. Because he's already given a commission to Peter, and Peter denied Jesus, and he fell. And so he needed to be restored, and then he needed to be recommitted. And not only does he give directly a commission to Peter, or recommission, but then you also see there's a commission to John, which is not directly given, but he states it at the end. And then the chapter ends again, just like the ending of chapter 20, very similar way that chapter 20 ends, but here it just focuses on the fact that Jesus Christ is majestic and glorious. The purpose statement in chapter 20 was so that you may believe in chapter 21, the purpose is that the disciples were commissioned and Peter was restored. And two important things about this chapter will help us focus our thoughts on it. The first one is that the central character of this chapter is, who's the central character of this chapter? Peter. You know, one of the things why I'm doing this is they say that if we ever go to like a fully online format for sermons, then having a conversational approach is probably what's going to uh, keep people interested. Also, our software has a way to know if you are not looking at the screen for more than 30 seconds. So uh, there's two, two things there. But uh, uh, you know, the central character is Peter. And his restoration is the key part of this chapter, which is why we read it. 
And then the second aspect that helps focus our minds on what is the point is what is the last words that Jesus says in this gospel? Absolute last words that Jesus says. And this is a trick question because what is the word? Someone said it. Follow me. Follow me is what Jesus, like, that's, he says to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. Like, that's it. That is the last thing Jesus says. So it's when, Paul, when John says that this is the last thing that he says, it helps us focus our minds on what exactly his intention with writing this chapter was. So Peter's restoration and then his recommission, his call to service, it teaches us some important things about Christian life and Christian service and Christian ministry in general. But how we are to live and serve Christ and his people. And if you want to break it down, you can break it down in three ways. Like Christian life and ministry or Christian life and service involves, first of all, an overwhelming sense of humility. Humility. And then the second aspect of it is recognizing the lordship or the sovereign rule or authority of Jesus Christ over our lives. And lastly, it calls us to a dedication to service, to a dedication to our way of living. So three things, humility, lordship, and dedication. When we talk about humility, why is humility important? You see, the passage begins, the one that we read, with Jesus questioning Peter how many times? Three times. And we may not, we should not miss some of the nuances in the question and answers that you know, Jesus and Peter have. And first off, I have to say that these points do not revolve around the words love and sheep. I've heard many sermons talk about or oh, the, the Greek word for love is different in the first when Jesus says and then Peter says and then Jesus says the same thing and, and then the sheep become lamb and so on and so forth. You have to understand that in John's gospel, he actually uses a lot of synonyms, which mean the same thing. So for example, he uses love and sheep and love, the two types of love in the Greek. Then he uses sheep and lambs. Then he uses dragging and drawing. They are both the same thing. You drag your nets or you draw your nets, they are the same thing. It's just this literary style. You know, some people like me, like when you, when you write something, sometimes you don't want to kind of use the same words. People say that, right? So John's literary style uses a lot of synonyms. So the, the point is not in what word he uses for love and sheep, but rather has the progression of the questions occur, we, we see Peter's awareness of the fact that he had betrayed Christ and that he needed to be restored. And the lessons that he learned from, from that betrayal and Jesus' gracious reconciliation, restoration, that is the nuance that we should not miss. Not focusing on the different words, but rather the, the, the emotions behind the questioning and the answers. You see, the first question has a trap for Peter. What is the first question Jesus asked him? In verse 15 of chapter 21, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than the fish? Like that could be because there's a lot of fish scattered around there. Is it more than the fish? More than his boats? No, it's a, more than these. Is it more than the disciples? Do you love me not? Do you love me more than you love Andrew? 
do you love me more than Andrew loves me? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. See, what Jesus is asking Peter is that, do you remember the time in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33 to 35, Jesus told the disciples that all of them will fall away. And you know what Peter said? Peter says, Peter answered him, Matthew chapter 26, verse 33 to 35 says, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Peter had an arrogant boast before that he was better than the disciples. He said, if they all fall away because of you, I still will be there. And then we know what happened. So Jesus asked him, Peter, are you now going to say that do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? And what does Peter say? See, Peter, he does not take the trap. He does not take the bait because his arrogance is now shown to be worthless. For all, the, all the disciples ran away, that is true, but only one of them denied him verbally. And you know what Jesus says about people who deny him? Jesus says that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. So who was the disciple who actually did the denial? It was Peter. And so Jesus asked him in the vein that he had boasted, do you love me more than these? And Peter learns his, has learned his lesson. What does he say? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's it. He doesn't say, I love you more than them, or I love you more than the world, or whatever. He says, I, you know that I love you. See, one aspect of humility in, in Christian life is the resistance of our natural urge to boast and exalt ourselves in comparison to others. So, Peter has learned his lesson. And then, the second time, Jesus asks again, do you love me? And this time Jesus does not ask him, do you love me more than these? Because Peter has learned his lesson. So first time he asked him, do you love me more than these? Jesus, Peter says, I, you know that I love you. So Jesus asks him, do you love me? He, he drops the more than these. And so there's a similar response from Peter. And Jesus says, you tend my sheep. So same answer. Then the third time, in verse 17, it says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, Peter is grieved. Why, why is Peter grieved? Because two times he already answered Jesus. And then Jesus pressed him one more time. And so perhaps he was grieved because Jesus didn't believe him the first two times. But more likely... He realizes how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so Jesus now publicly asks him three times, do you love me? So we see here that in Jesus, he's acknowledging Peter's public denial, but he's responding in a way that he can publicly restore Peter to the commission that he was originally given as an apostle. But that restoration is painful 
right if someone said oh the appropriate sentence for something you did is is 40 lashes right your your feeling of it your dread of it changes from when you got the 10th lash to the 20th lash to the 40th right because it just keeps uh coming so it's that restoration is painful it's humbling for peter even though it's it's me it's uh its goal is to restore him it's still painful and for so for peter part of the humility that he had to learn was in recognizing that he had fallen and that he needed to repent and be restored and he was because he was not everything that he thought he was and his skills did not match up to the image that he had created for himself in his head but even then you see the lord in his grace is not demanding a proportional response the proportional response that you denied me three times then you have no place with me anymore but instead it just takes a form of asking him three simple questions it is a it is a it's a moment it's a momentary discomfort for peter that pales in comparison to what peter actually did to jesus and so we can be thankful that though we are fragile and weak and and prone to falling and wandering the good shepherd jesus christ he is gracious to restore us when we are humble when we are aware of our own frailty and return to him and seek restoration in a way that is not actually matched to what we do to him the way he restores us is like a father disciplines his son in that the restoration process is, ne- is painful as it may be is never proportional to the offense that we have caused and so peter's final answer shows his awareness of that he says he could have you see some people when you try to if you don't believe me i'm done with all this i'm 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 leaving because all discipline is painful for a season the bible says so peter could have done that right he could have left uh, god up left in a huff but here you see he says lord you know everything it's it's a more final acknowledgement of the fact that the lord is lord and that he knows what's in his heart you know that i love you i know that you know all things including what is in my heart you don't need to ask me how i feel towards you because you can see inside my heart and you know how i feel and that is not because peter is saying oh look into my heart and know you know the love that i have for you he's saying because he's aware in his awareness that he's speaking to the lord of all things who knows his heart he's humble he understands what jesus is trying to do you see the arrogant peter of the previous chapters is replaced here by a is a, a more humble peter he's not boasting in his own merits he's aware of his weaknesses he's reliant on the all know all knowing capacity of the lord but that humility is what was needed for his restoration to service and indeed for him to serve serve at all so humility is an important part of christian christian life and service the second aspect is the lordship of jesus christ you see humility in itself is not an end goal you know we can't go around saying that i'm really humble if it does on if it does not have any uh expression outside of just a self characteristic so humility is not the end goal if it's not accompanied by the submission of our will to the will and the lordship of jesus christ so peter's acknowledgement that the lord knows all things 
will involve both his submission to the Lord's will in ministry and the realization that the Lord is sovereign and that he may not get all the answers that he is looking for in this life, but that his dedication to service and ministry and the Christian life is not dependent on his knowing all things, but rather on what? On the fact that Jesus Christ knows all things. So our humility was to lead us to understand that the Lord knows all things, not us. And that he has a will and a purpose for our life. And we have to obey that and align ourselves with the will and, and purpose that he has for our life. So after you know, the Q&A session ends and Peter is restored and recommitted, Jesus says in, in verse 18 of chapter 21, and this is the last of the truly, truly, or the amen, amen statements in John's gospel. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So Jesus using a proverb, it seems like this was a proverb that was already there in their culture, but he's using that proverb and slightly modifying it to illustrate what the lordship or his lordship would mean for Peter in his life. See, the contrast in the proverb is between two aspects of, of your, the characteristic of your life when you are young and the characteristic of your life when you are old. Or more uh, uh, pointedly, it is between the freedom of the will when you are young. You know, young people are the hardest to convince to follow all the restrictions for this coronavirus. It's true, like that's why they're, you know, now in Toronto they are closing all bars and because somebody went and they saw like people instead of going to work, they're now congregating in restaurants and bars. They're like, oh, if I get it, I get it. I'll just stay home for two weeks. See, young people have, their awareness of their natural abilities gives them a freedom of the will. Versus older people, age places a natural restriction on their freedom so that they depend on other people to do things for them that they might have been able to do for themselves when they are young, but now that they are no longer able to do. So Jesus says in the proverb, the example is that another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go because you're dependent on someone else. And if you're dependent on someone else, you know, when I advance in years and if I'm dependent on Timothy, you know, I have to rely on the fact that I'm on his, I'm his dad and so on. Can you take me here? But ultimately, it's, it's, it's his will whether he takes me to the place that I want to go or whether he says, no, I can't take you there or I'll take you somewhere else. So Jesus says, the young have a freedom of the will that is not there in those who are older. But then you tie that to the idea of Christian maturity. You see that part of maturing in Christ, part of growing in the Christian life is realizing that you cannot just say, I will do what I want. And you have to submit to the direction and desires of someone else, not your children, in this case, the desires and direction of the Lord. But he doesn't just use the proverb to show uh, you know, that portion of it. He also says how Peter's life is to end. So this is the part that Jesus adds in the proverb. He says, you will stretch out your hands. It's, it's an addition to the original proverb. 
And John says why he said that in verse 19, he says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, when Jesus is saying, you will stretch out your hands, he's saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. And we know Peter died crucified. But stretching out your hand is a sign of that your life is, your breath has gone. He says, you follow me, you're going to die. Not only will you submit your will to my direction, but you're also going to die. So Peter's submission to the Lord's will comes with the knowledge that his ministry and his life will end dying for the gospel. And we know that by the time John's gospel was written, Peter probably already had died. He, history says that under the emperor Nero, Peter was crucified and John's gospel was written sometime around that time. So John in all probability knew that Peter died and he said, and he said, Jesus said this, he prophesied this before to show the kind of death by which he was to glorify God because he died as a martyr for the gospel. Now Peter didn't die immediately. He died 30 years after Jesus said this. And that it was the Lord's will that he died to glorify God. So he got at least one answer. Maybe he didn't ask the question. Right? No, nobody's like going to ask the question. Lord, when am I going to die? So Jesus just offered it uh, free of charge. And then we see Peter, now knowing that what's going to happen in his life, he wants to know what happens to someone else. He, in chapter 21, verse 21 to 23, he says, when Peter saw him, and this him is John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he said to Jesus, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter is like, hey, I'm going to die for the gospel. What about this guy? Tell him, tell me that, you know, maybe he also dies for the gospel. So, uh, you know, we have that uh, fellowship. And it seems a bit rude for Jesus to essentially say it's none of your business. Because that's what he says. He says it's none of your business. He says, if it is my will for him to live as long as it takes for me to come back a second time on this earth, what is that to you? How does that change your submission to me? How does that change your, um, your uh, acknowledgement of the fact that I have a will and a purpose for your life? And John says, this is not to say that he was going to live forever. He's saying that the Lord has a will and a purpose for each person's life. And, and sometimes you don't get all the answers that you want from Jesus Christ under his lordship. But we can be confident that he has planned out our days and that he knows the path that our life will take. Now, whether we know it or not is not the question. The question is, what are you going to do? It says, after Jesus said this, what is that to you? What does he say? You follow me. Whether you get your answers that you want or not, the mandate is the same. You follow me. I will reveal what I need to reveal to you. I may not reveal certain things you, need to, you want to know, but you should understand that I do have a will and a plan and a purpose, and that I am the one who controls that. So you follow me. We don't have to worry whether God has a will or a plan or a purpose for our lives. Even if we are not aware of it, we can be confident that he's able to do it. And worrying should not divert us 
from following Jesus and the call that he has for each of our lives. So in our humility, we recognize that we cannot boast in our own skills but have to depend on the lordship of Jesus Christ and that he has a will and a purpose for our lives. And knowing these two things, the humility that is required to be a Christian, the, the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, these two things should lead us to be dedicated to following Jesus Christ in our lives. There's an aspect of dedication. Jesus says to Peter, this is how you'll glorify me, by dying. Dedication to service leads to the glorification of God. How? Because when we do the service that he has allowed to us faithfully, knowing that he is Lord and he has called us to service, that he is able to accomplish his will and purposes in our lives and the lives of others, even in the midst of our own weakness and frailty, when we combine that knowledge with unwavering commitment and resolve in carrying out the mission that was given to us, we bring glory to God. And that we don't have to worry about the outcome. Jesus says that by following what I asked you to do, by following me, you will glorify me. And for Peter, that was given to him in the commission that Jesus gave to him as a response you know, to the question and answers. Three times Jesus said what? Feed the lambs or feed the sheep. So what Peter was called to was a ministry of shepherding or of being a pastor. First, he was to be the pastor or the shepherd in a sense of the disciples themselves. And then as an ongoing ministry to the many new followers that would come about as a result of the gospel spread after Jesus Christ left the earth. You see, Peter always thought of himself as a leader, right? He was the natural leader. And his zeal and his commitment were never in doubt. And you see, the disciples followed him. Even here, Peter is the one who says, let's go fish, and they follow him. But for his leadership to be useful to the Lord, he had to be broken. He had to be humiliated so that he could humble himself. And then he had to be restored and recommissioned to the ministry so that he would not just be a leader, but what would he become? He would become a shepherd. Like the Lord, who is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, so also Peter had to be molded to become a good shepherd like the Lord. And one day it says he also would lay down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus prophesies for him. So he had to learn that, yes, he was called to be a leader, but he was called to be a shepherd, not as someone who lords over everyone else, or not as someone who just, by rushing into things, he is the one who provides the template. He had to learn the humility and the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you see, that lesson would remain in Peter's mind, and it would make his ministry fruitful. If you go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, I'll read it in whole. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? With humility, one toward another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There was a time when Peter was the proud. And God opposed him. And then he says, I learned my lesson, so let me tell it to you. You see, the humility and the recognition that he is a servant, that he's a shepherd, but that he's not the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. And the sheep are not Peter's. The sheep belong to Jesus Christ. And that he's just a temporary steward. And that his success lay in glorifying God through his service in humility. And you see, Peter knew for 30 years that he would die for the Lord. He knew any day someone was going to come and take off his head. But he was dedicated to his service, as we read throughout the New Testament. This is what a commentator says, that the indelible shame or the undisputed shame that Peter bore for his public denial of the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was sentenced to death was forgiven by the Lord himself. And subsequently, the memory of that was overwhelmed, even though we, we may not think about it. The memory of that was overwhelmed by his Peter's fruitful ministry and his martyrdom, that is death. So when you think about Peter, the thing that sticks in your head, what should stick in your head, is not the fact that he denied Jesus three times, as important as it was, but that when after he was recommitted, he lived for 30 years dedicated to his service, knowing that a sword lay over his head and it never wavered. He never forgot the lessons that Jesus Christ gave him. Now there are things in the, in, the, in the Acts where you can see, you know, he's still a human being, he falls, but the Lord always used someone else to bring him back up, to restore him to the mission that he was given. And then here, you see, God gives grace to the humble. When Peter was humble, God gave grace to him. And then we also read about John's ministry. If Peter was to be the shepherd, John's ministry was to be what? It says at the end, in, towards the last, what is his ministry? To evangelize, okay. You remember what I said in the beginning. But if you read the, the verses at the end, he says, John was to be the witness who was faithfully writing down, down what he saw and heard and touched. And John's ministry was to give the word of God and the testimony of the word become flesh to generations of believers that will follow him, including us. So where Peter's ministry was to be the shepherd, John's ministry was to be the faithful witness. And John was dedicated, and he faithfully carried out that mission until we know that he was, in his old age, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. You know, the Lord said that if he lives till I come back, what is that to you? Now, we know he didn't live till that, but he lived a very long life. And at the end of his days, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. But it was the Lord's will that he would continue to be a witness, that his pen would not dry out of ink, and that in his old age, his mind would not run out of words, and that he would write the last book of the New Testament, 
which is the book of revelations and then having testified to the glories of christ through the gospel of john and through the letters of john he would testify to the glories of christ when he would come again and then he ends the new testament by saying amen maranatha come lord jesus jesus said if it is my will that he remains until i come again and then john ends the new testament in his dedicated service for his the long years of his life finally alone all by himself on an island he says come lord jesus my service is finished the testimony of every christian in faithful service whether that's peter john paul all the missionaries all the evangelists all the ordinary people in churches and communities across the world the testimonies that glorify god is not one that re- relies on the capabilities of the people themselves but rather in their humility and in following the will that god has for their lives or the lord has for their lives their dedication to the service given to them is what brings glory to god the dedication to fruitful ministry by heeding the command that jesus says follow me and to bring glory to him by following him and obeying his will for their lives may that be true for each one of us may we be humble may we realize that we don't know everything we live in a circumstance where things change week to week and we can't predict what's going to happen next week but we know that we are safe in the arms of the lord and that his plans and his purposes for us will not waver and his call to us is that we follow him be dedicated to the calling of god in our lives may that be true for each one of us let's pray father god we thank you lord for this time for your majestic glorious and uh, enlightening word for the word become flesh our lord and savior jesus christ for his grace in in uh, in being gentle towards the humble we realize that all of us are uh, frail that we all have things that take us away but that you have a gentle heart that you restore us uh, with a gentle spirit that though discipline is painful your aim always is to restore us to the place where we were before and not only that but to rededicate ourselves to our service in living our lives for you we thank you lord for the example of peter and for the many others who learned that lesson in their lives and given us an example to follow so we pray that in this time of uncertainty we also may demonstrate to the world that though we are humble we know that we have a god who rules over us and protects us and that we'll continue to be dedicated in whatever way we can to living this life in a way that is fruitful to you and brings glory to you by serving you and by serving your people lord protect us and give us all wisdom as we go out and tackle the situation that is before us may you protect us as a community from any harm and that uh, whatever happens oh lord that we will be able to testify to your grace and glory in our lives may your name alone be glorified we ask in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen